Hello, everyone, and welcome into the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes. On today's episode, with our heroes recovering on Coruscant after their escape from Duro, the Yuzhan Vong threaten the Jedi students on Yavin 4. Anakin Solo embarks on his own to rescue the younglings, including his best friend. It's Edge of Victory 1, Conquest, by Greg Keyes. And joining me to talk about the story is Jay. Welcome back to the show, Jay. Thanks for having me back, Aaron. I'm happy to uh, continue this saga with you. And for those that don't remember, I was on, I think, episode two. And uh, I'm part of the Animated Antics podcast. And you can find me at jncat1 on Twitter. Also, I think on Instagram at Animated Antics. Well, Jay, Conquest is book number seven in the New Jedi Order series. I know you read this series once before, though it has been a while ago. Have you enjoyed going back to the NJO this time around? I, I really have enjoyed it. Um, there's so much I don't remember. Like, I remember little bits and pieces of things. Um, and I don't know where it falls in the series. So when I come across it, it was like, oh, yeah, that's what was going on. Some of that we're actually going to get into today on with uh, Conquest. It's stuff that I've been sort of remembering for the last six books. And I'm like, well, when is this going to happen? And some of it happened now. Well, before we get into Conquest, let's do a listener question. Today's question comes from a person who wanted to remain anonymous. They say, hello, Aaron. How do you feel about Cal Kestis? And is there anything you hope to see from him in the future? I know you don't play video games much, but I find Cal's character so interesting. He's probably my favorite character outside of Obi-Wan Kenobi. I'm so glad Spotify recommended your podcast to me. It inspires me to want to learn more about Star Wars because the franchise has really given me a thing in this world to enjoy and be happy about. I'm a huge fan and appreciate everything you've done. Your content makes my days just a little better, and I appreciate that. Well, thank you very much for the email, Anonymous, and thank you very much for the kind words. Jay, as the email said, I don't play video games. I'll let you take this one to start out. What do you think of Cal Kestis, and would you like to see the character in other Star Wars media going forward? Uh, I actually really do like the character. I've only played the first uh, Jedi Outcast game. Uh, I think that's what it was called. Um, yes, Fall, Fallen Order. Uh, I thought his story was really interesting. Uh, and I'm not going to lie, I actually kind of hoped that we would have seen him either appear in The Mandalorian or Obi-Wan Kenobi, even just very briefly, um, just to have him have sort of a bit more interaction with um, some of the more main characters because for those who haven't played the first game, he actually dealt a lot with the Inquisitors. So I think it would have fallen in with Obi-Wan's story and even just to cross paths like that. And then I was hoping the Mandalorian, when we got the Luke reveal, again, spoiler for those that haven't watched it, um, I was actually kind of hoping it would be Cal Kestis just to... In, uh, more incorporate him into the universe and I think it actually would have really surprised a lot of people that he was still around so I know as far as other media goes that there is a book 
about Cal Kestis and the crew of the Stinger Mantis that was released this year back in March called Battle Scars, written by Sam Maggs. I have not read the book yet. I don't buy books until they come out on paperback, so it might be until this Christmas season before I get a chance to purchase that book. But to answer your question, Anonymous, sure, I'd love to see Cal Kestis in something going forward. Personally, I think the biggest issue right now with bringing Cal Kestis into something is the time period that Fallen Order and Jedi Survivor take place in. It's in those years between Order 66 and A New Hope, and we're getting closer and closer to A New Hope. There's not a whole lot of real estate in there to really bring in other characters to where it doesn't significantly affect how people would see A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. But, sure, if there's a way that they can incorporate Cal Kestis in the future, I'd be all for it. I know in the newest game, Survivor, they talk about the path that they talked about in the Obi-Wan Kenobi show. The underground of getting Force-sensitive youngsters to safety. Maybe we'll see more of that in the future, and that is a way that we could see live-action Cal Kestis. Anyway, thanks for the email, Anonymous. And now, listener, if you have a question for the show, send me an email at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send me a tweet at legendslounge1. And if you'd like to get your voice on the show, you record an audio question and email it in. Just please record it in MP3 or MP4 audio format. And stay tuned for the end of the show where I'll share an email from a listener, Ben, who disagrees with something I said about Darth Bane. Now it's time for today's book, Edge of Victory 1, Conquest, by Greg Keyes. And listener, we do have a little bonus for today because there's a short e-novella called Recovery by Troy Denning that takes place at the same time as the events at the beginning of Conquest. It's a short story about Han trying to protect Leia as she recovers from the leg wounds that she sustained at the end of Balance Point. Now, Jane and I aren't going to go in-depth into that story, but I will hit a few of the big events. Just a little something extra for the listeners today. Jay, are you ready to jump into today's book, Conquest by Greg Keyes? I absolutely am. I'm so excited to talk about this. (laughs) Well then, grab yourself a drink, and let's head in to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. The story begins on Coruscant, after the fall of Duro. War Master Savong Law has announced that the Yuuzhan will stop their invasion if the citizens of the galaxy turn over the Jedi Knights. Master Luke Skywalker calls the Jedi together to discuss the situation and confronts an order on the edge. Kip Doran is angry. He wants Luke to go on the offensive, and Kip's faction is growing. The Solo children confront Kip after the meeting, telling him that he's pulling the order apart. But they admit Kip is correct in one thing. The Jedi need to gather intel about where the Jedi are vulnerable to the Peace Brigade 
and they use it in Vong. Anakin thinks the juiciest target is the Jedi Academy on Yavin 4. He doesn't tell his siblings that he has had a vision about his best friend Tahiri at the Academy. And she's in trouble. Anakin falsifies a flight plan and sneaks away from Coruscant in his X-Wing and heads to Yavin 4 to rescue the students. Meanwhile, Leia is secretly admitted to a med center on Corellia to heal from the wounds she sustained on Duro. The Peace Brigade learns Leia is there and tries to apprehend her, but Han diverts the three goons to another room, where a woman floating in a Bacta tank is recovering from three Amphistaff wounds herself. It's one of Luke's Jedi, a woman named Elisa. Han and Elisa's apprentice, Izzel Waz, kill the Peace Brigaders, smuggle Leia and Elisa out of the Med Center, and flee Corellia on the Millennium Falcon. Anakin arrives at Yavin 4 and finds the Peace Brigade already there in orbit. Anakin makes a run for it and heads down to the planet to the Jedi Temple. There he meets Masters Cam Salazar, Tion, and Ikrit. Anakin says that Luke is sending Talon Card to evacuate the Academy, but his uncle didn't expect the Peace Brigade to arrive this soon. The Jedi come up with a plan to hide the children in Ikrit's cave below the temple, but they'll need a distraction as they move the children down the river uh, and escape. Anakin offers to stay behind and keep the Peace Brigade busy. He plans to escape in his X-Wing when the students are clear. Then he'll harass the Peace Brigade in orbit until Talon Card arrives. Ikrit also volunteers to stay behind. The Jedi Master says that it is his destiny to help save the children. As the Millennium Falcon heads toward Kaminoor, Han discovers that Izzawaz has snuck some others aboard, three bearable Jedi Knights. One of the bearbells, Tessar Sebatine, gives Han coordinates where they can rendezvous with someone who will escort them to a place they'll be safe. However, when the Falcon arrives, they find the Peace Brigade and a Yuzhan Vong transport. Han turns to flee when a squadron of X-Wings appears. It's the Wild Knights, led by Tessar's mother, Saba Sebatine. The Wild Knights destroy the Vong and Peace Brigade ships and escort the Falcon to a hidden base deep in the galactic core. Anakin and Master Ikrit sneak back into the Jedi Temple to distract the Peace Brigade and find they've been followed by Tahiri and two other children, Cornhorn's son, Valen, and a girl named Sana. Blast it, Anakin says. I can't get all of us out in my X-Wing. Now we need a new escape plan. Anakin decides to steal one of the Peace Brigade transport ships. He and Tahiri find one, restrain the pilot, and fly off to pick up Valen, Sana, and Master Ikrit. Talon Card arrives in the system to find his three cruisers outnumbered by the seven Peace Brigade ships in orbit and six on the surface of Yavin 4. Card offers to help the Peace Brigade Captain Imsatad with his search efforts down on the moon, but Imsatad is suspicious. He wants to know what's in it for Card. Card says he's a smuggler and wants to be able to move freely through Vong-controlled territory. He wants Imsatad to put in a good word for him in exchange for help finding the Jedi on Yavin 4. When Imsatad asks what kind of help Card is offering, the smuggler says he has special defenses against the Jedi, and a special way to hunt them. 
he meets Imsatad outside the Jedi Temple with his pet Vornskers, creatures that hunt their prey by sensing the Force. The Vornskers lead the search party to the caves beneath the temple. There, the beasts spot something moving in the darkness. Quickly, Card lifts his blaster and stuns Imsatad while his people open fire on the other unsuspecting Peace Brigaders. When the firefight ends, Cam Solasar and Tion emerge from the darkness, leading the Jedi children. The group exits the temple and takes off in the wild card. Anakin and Tahiri pick up Valen and Sana on the stolen transport, but Ikrit stays behind to block the pursuers. The diminutive Jedi Master uses the Force to push the Peace Brigade ships out of the way. Ikrit clears a path for Anakin, but eventually he's overwhelmed and is shot. Tahiri jumps out of the transport and runs towards Ikrit's body. Anakin turns to save Tahiri, but the Peace Brigade closes in and starts to fire on their ship. Anakin realizes he could save Tahiri, but it would mean that his window to get Valen and Sana to safety would be gone. Anakin makes a choice. He leaves Tahiri, his best friend, just like he left Chewbacca. Card meets up with one of his ships in orbit, just as a Yuzhan Vong fleet arrives in the system. Card transfers Tion and the Jedi children and orders them to Coruscant. He and the Wild Card will stay and hide out in the system's asteroid belt, observing the Yuzhan Vong and waiting to see if Anakin's group can escape the moon. Cam Solosar stays with Card, just in case the smuggler needs to use his Jedi senses to find Anakin. Anakin's ship escapes the Peace Brigade, but his ship is in bad shape and crashes into the jungle. Luckily, everyone is okay. They find a place to hide while Anakin tries to figure out how to fix the ship. Four days after the crash, Anakin has a dark dream. He sees himself in Darth Vader's mask, the Knight of Darkness Reborn. Then he hears a familiar but strange laughter of a girl with golden hair, one eye jade and one obsidian. The girl's lips are fringed with incisions, a large scar running from her forehead to her chin. She wears black chitinous armor with calcified knobs and spurs on her shoulders and elbows. Dark side energy crackles around her. It's Tahiri, part Yuza Vong, part Dark Jedi. Anakin awakes to find a strong hand over his mouth. It's an old man named Quarrel, a former Imperial TIE pilot and friend to Jason and Janna. Anakin tells Quarrel and the Peace Brigade pilot to get Valen and Sana off Yavin 4. He's going to stay and go after Tahiri. In the area around the Jedi Temple, the Yuzhan Vong Shaper cast erects their buildings. Led by Master Shaper Mezon Quad and her assistant Nen Yim, they decide to begin shaping Tahiri, mentally and physically, into making her think she's actually one of the Yuzhan Vong. They begin mapping Tahiri's brain, scarring her, and implanting a piece of coral in her forehead. The Shapers torture Tahiri with questions, sending her jolts of excruciating pain whenever she doesn't answer the way Mezon Quad wants. When Tahiri starts to break, the Shapers begin implanting false memories, 
convincing Tahiri that her real name is Rina Quad, a Yuzan Vong who was stolen by the Jedi as a child. As Anakin makes his long trek through the jungle, he's discovered by a small Vong search party. He defeats them, but the crystal in his lightsaber is damaged in the fight. Anakin is discovered again, but this time it's by a grotesque deformed warrior named Val Rupong. Rupong is a member of the Shamed Ones, the Vong whose bodies reject their implants. The Shamed Ones are seen as shunned by the gods, but Rupong refuses to believe he is shamed. He says his body was intentionally altered by a Yuza Vong Shaper that he rejected. Now he needs Anakin's help to get into the Jedi Praxium and get his revenge. When they arrive, Rupong disguises Anakin as one of the slaves working in the fields around the compound. He tells Anakin to stay undercover while he finds out where the Shapers are holding Tahiri. While Anakin is undercover, Leia convalesces at a secret base on Cinnabar Moon. Once she recovers, Leia and Han return to Coruscant and confront the New Republic Advisory Council. Leia says someone from Selcor is working with Corduro shipping to divert resources away from the refugees migrating toward the Corps, and she thinks she knows who it is. Senator Viki Shesh of Kuat, the head of the Selcor program. The council warns Leia that she's making dangerous accusations. But the former Princess of Alderaan and New Republic Chief of State says she knows it's Viki Shesh, and she's going to prove it. Anakin toils in the fields and learns more about the Shamed Ones from the Yuzat Vong named Unu. While Unu shows Anakin how to harvest lambent crystals, she asks him if he's a Jedi. Anakin says no. But he asks Unu why she wants to know. Unu says she's heard the Jedi care about all life and wonders if they also care about the Shamed Ones. As they continue to talk, Anakin discovers that he can feel the lambent crystal in the Force, the first time he can sense anything from the Yuzan Vong. Anakin palms one of the lambent crystals when they return from the fields and replaces his damaged lightsaber crystal. Not only does the violet blade become like his old weapon again, but his connection with the lambent makes him able to detect Yuzan Vong in a fuzzy, non-Force way. When the Yuzhan Vong commander in charge of Yavin 4 discovers that Mezon Quad has been shaping Tahiri, he accuses her of heresy. He takes Quad, Nenyam, and Tahiri into custody and attempts to take them away for execution. Rapuang discovers what's happening and gets Anakin. They can't wait any longer. They need to stop the Vong now to rescue Tahiri and to force Mezon Quad to reveal the heresy she committed onto Rapuang. The two confront the procession as they arrive at a Yuzan Vong dropship. When Anakin ignites his blade, the commander orders his warriors to attack. Anakin and Rapuang carve their way through the Vong, making it to the ramp, but they're both wounded. Anakin is stabbed through the shoulder and drops his lightsaber, while Rapuang takes an amphistaff through his abdomen. As the crowd grows, an exhausted and bleeding Rapuang shouts at Mezad Quad, accusing her of heresy and intentionally deforming him. Instead of admitting anything, 
she screams that there are no gods, proclaiming herself to be an atheist, which is forbidden in Fong culture. The Shaper kills the commander beside her and attacks Rupong, killing him. She turns towards Anakin, but suddenly his lightsaber hilt rises from the ground. It isn't called to Anakin, but instead flies into Tahiri's hand. Tahiri ignites the blade and decapitates Mezon Quad. She looks at Anakin, but she's confused. Is she really Tahiri, or is she Rena Quad? With no time to explain, Anakin and Tahiri jump into the transport and flee. They're rescued by Talon Card and Booster Tarek, who arrives at Yavin 4 in his personal Star Destroyer. Booster has come at the request of Janna and Jason to save Anakin, his grandson Valen Horn, and the remaining Jedi. Time for a break. When we return, Jay and I will talk more about Edge of Victory 1, Conquest, by Greg Keyes. I'm Aaron Motes. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. Thank you for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. And if you're a fan who'd like to meet other Legends buffs, you can check out Legends Con this September 9th and 10th in Burbank, California. Legends Con is a fan-run convention focused on celebrating the books, comics, games, and other media from the old Star Wars Expanded Universe. And it's hosted by the Legends Consortium, a fan-run organization that wants to bring together fans to celebrate Legends in a positive environment. It will feature vendors, artists, and authors from the old EU, including special guests Randy Stradley, Matthew Stover, Karina Bechko, Sean Stewart, Barbara Hambly, and Abel G. Pena. LegendsCon is open to all ages and will be held September 9th and 10th, 2023 at the Marriott Convention Center in Burbank, California. Proceeds from the event will be donated to the Peter Mayhew Foundation. Tickets are on sale now through Eventbrite, and you can provide additional support through Kickstarter or coffee.com. For more information on LegendsCon, visit legends-con.com. Check out at legends underscore con on Twitter and Instagram or at Legends Consortium on Facebook and Tumblr. Once again, that's LegendsCon, coming September 9th and 10th in Burbank, California. Welcome back to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes, and today, Jay and I are talking about Edge of Victory 1, Conquest, by Greg Keyes, the seventh book in the New Jedi Order series. Now, Jay, Conquest is a little different from the first six books in the NJO. This book is focused almost entirely on Anakin Solo. What did you think about the way this book was structured? Uh, I actually really liked it. I liked following Anakin uh, kind of on his adventure. Um, And I thought this book did a really good job of sort of giving us a really good insight into how the Yuuzhan society works. And I think that's, it's really the first time we kind of see that. I know we've seen like the cast stuff before, 
Um, I, I like that we weren't getting the old characters, and this was really a focus on one of the newer characters and his journey and bringing up, you know, things that happened in, like, I assume in the um, young, the young adult novels. Um, well, Anakin's was the children's series, the yeah. Junior Jedi Knights. Uh, Jane and Jason were the young adult novels. Oh, okay. But yes, I know what you're talking about because, yeah, they brought in Tahiri. She was in those Junior Jedi Knight books. And one of the things that surprised me, even the first time I read them, is Master Ikrit. He's almost described in the Junior Jedi Knights as almost looking like a flop-eared bunny. But I was, yes, I was surprised he was included in this story as well. I actually had to look him up because I didn't recognize the species. And um, I kind of glossed over at first just how small he was. Because Anakin kind of still talks about the cockpit of the X-Wing being a little cramped. So I was like, oh, he can't be that tiny. And then when I looked it up, they were like, oh, no, he's like the size of a bunny and kind of looks like a bunny. And I was like, oh, that's that's really tiny. <laughs> so you mentioned the caste system for the Yuzhan Vong Society. In the first section of this series, the first six books... It's mostly the warrior cast that we get a look inside of. Now, we're kind of introduced to the shapers, and we're introduced to the shamed ones. Maybe there are additional casts going forward. How do you like how this book starts to expand the way we understand Yuzhan Vong society? All right. I think it's great because just like the characters in the book, this is a species that we really know nothing about. Um, and as we get farther into these books, we're learning more and more about their society, what's motivating them, why they're doing this invasion. Um, and we've seen in previous books how some of the casts kind of have a little bit of infighting but we don't really understand their politics and by really focusing on the shapers and how different they are from the warriors and i think we've also um dealt with the priest cast as well and yeah how... we've gotten a little we've gotten a little bit of the priests uh, in the previous two books but still not even a whole lot from them no but but we are seeing sort of almost that societal division as to they each cast almost thinks that they're the better ones Everyone has their place, but each cat, like the warriors, when we first meet them, they're like, yeah, we can do everything that everyone else can. If it's not for us, they can't do it. The priests are, you know, from what we've seen of them is, well, the gods have sent us and, you know, it, we, we tell you what the gods say, so it, we're better than everyone. And here's the shapers going, well, we make everything, right? We transform everything in the name of the gods, quote unquote. Um, because the main shaper doesn't believe that in their gods, believes that more in the science of, no, I did this. But we're seeing sort of that division and also finding out in this book too that they've been traveling for a very long time. And things are starting to break down <laughs> that they've relied on. I think it, it was uh, Nin, Nin Yem. Uh, her character has never been on a planet before. She's only lived on the world ship until she gets to Yavin. Yeah, and if you think about it, these aliens 
have come into this galaxy from the great void beyond. Think of the distance between galaxies. There have to be generations of Yuzhan Vong who have never set foot on a planet or a moon. Nanyam is the first Yuzhan Vong character where we get her point of view about that. She mentions how the gravity is slightly different, how the air smells different. It's not recycled air like it is in the world ships. This air has a sweetness, a sourness. She can smell all these different things. And even though for us, the reader and our heroes in the book, the Yuzhan Vong right now are the enemies, we can empathize with a character who is discovering something for the very first time. And also with her character too, with having just set foot on, on, on a planet. Um, we almost see that like in the Bad Batch where Omega the first time steps on a planet, right? She's just enthralled by the fact that this is dirt. And also the fact that Yavin 4 isn't highly populated, so it's still a hugely natural environment. Almost, you can almost see her questioning, well, why would we destroy these people when here's a planet full of resources that's not been touched? Maybe what we're being told isn't the truth. Yeah, and it seems like to this point, the Shaper cast, now of course we only really get it from these two characters, but it seems like the Shaper cast doesn't necessarily believe as much in conquering this galaxy as the warrior cast and the priest cast, the characters we've seen from those in our previous stories. Mm -hmm. No, they just seem to want to do their job and um, do their experimentation and see what they, what they can come up with and how they can adapt the Yuzid Vong to this new galaxy. In my previous episode on Balance Point, Scott talked about how for him the Yuzhan Vong weren't really characters yet because we didn't get much from their point of view. We got a little bit early on in the story with Shadal Shai. We've also gotten a very little bit from Naminor. This book, we get conversations among the different Yuzhan Vong characters. Mezon Quad, Ninyam, we spend time with them. They talk to each other about what they're doing. They talk to each other about their aspirations for Yavin 4. And then we get to know two characters from the Shamed Ones, Vua, Raparong, and Unu. We're finally starting to see the Yuzhan Vong as more than just this invasion force. That there are individuals within Yuzhan Vong society who have different ideas from what they've been told as they took their really long trip in between galaxies. What do you think about that? I think this has actually been needed for a couple of books now because I remember making that comment in my, uh, my first episode where there was just a bunch of nameless, you know, almost shapeless Yuza Vong. Um, and I think it's really great to see that deep dive into it. And I also think it was great to see Anakin's sort of epiphany that this wasn't just that these were actual, for quote, lack of a better term, quote unquote, people. 
that they had relationships, that they had beliefs, that they weren't just this militant force that was didn't care about anything else. Um, and I think going forward, that's going to really influence how the Jedi and the galaxy deals with them. Because as of right now, they've almost dealt with them as as if they're droids and automatons and not actual living, breathing beings that have a purpose. So one of the new casts we are introduced to in this book is the Shamed Ones. They are Yuzhan Vong, whose bodies have rejected the ritual implants. They're described as much more grotesque than the Yuzhan Vong we've seen so far. The Shame Ones are basically described as the lowest of the low in Yuzhan Vong society, really only above the slaves they have taken as they've conquered this galaxy. What do you think of the Shame Ones here? I find it really interesting because I feel like they have made appearances in other books, but we just didn't know what they were called. Um, and I, I find, you know, for an organic being to reject an implant or another creature's body part that's very realistic like we have that in our own world even between humans if you have like a liver transplant you're on drugs for the rest of your life to make sure that that your body doesn't reject that um so i thought that was really interesting that that's a like like that's a real thing i think it's also interesting that again when with this caste system, how everyone has its place. So no matter if you're kicked out of one of the other castes, you still have a place in the shame ones, which some, well, a lot of them seem to believe that they can work their way out of um, and reattain sort of a previous position or that they're being like, Unu kind of believes that they're, they're going to have a savior uh, one day that's going to rescue them. And they're, because they've lived as the shame ones are going to now be the um, the favored of the Yuzavong. That was one of the things I wanted to talk about. Anakin spends about a week with Unu in the Lambent Crystal Fields, and they have a few conversations. And right toward the end of Anakin's time with Unu, she asks Anakin about the Jedi, and if the Jedi believe all life is sacred does that mean they would believe that the shamed ones are sacred as well the lives of the shamed ones i should say it's an interesting conversation what do you think about what that could imply going forward in this series it it definitely was an interesting conversation because it all and even anakin kind of questions that it's like what you have all this knowledge about Jedi philosophy and their beliefs, but no one else has seemed to have shown that. Where are you getting that information? Um, Also going forward, you know, um, you're talking about an entire cast of people that is being repressed. And what happens when people are repressed? They eventually revolt. So I think if it turns out that that's the case. The Jedis have very strong allies that are in very um, important positions 
when it comes to the use of von technology or biotechnology. The, these crystals are something that are used to help with many of their their devices and what if they don't have them anymore? <laughs> Maybe there's other shame ones out there that are growing amphistaphs. What if the amphistaphs turn on them? Like, it's it creates a very interesting possible problem for the Yuzid Vong. Absolutely. I would like to know how Unu heard about Jedi philosophy. You know, because from everything we've learned so far about the shamed ones, they're so shunned from regular Yuzhan Vong society that I would find it interesting to see how information flows that far down the societal ladder and how she even heard about what the Jedi believe about life. Yeah, I'd be really interested to find that out too. Um, is it just talking with other slaves that have been Jedi or is it, you know, they're just maybe because no one, if everyone ignores them, right. And they're, they are in, places that half work has to get done and only the shame ones can do it, but they're treated almost like furniture. What are they overhearing? You know, what potential information, if they can be allied again with the new Republic or the empire or the Jedi, like what information do they potentially have that they can, can start kind of handing over for, you know, sanctuary. The only conversation I can kind of remember was two stories ago. There's a priest talking to a Gotal. I don't know if the Gotal is a priest or not, but the Gotal mentions the Jedi and what they believe in. Could there have been some shamed ones in that room while those priests were debating that overheard something. And then, of course, goes back to where all the other shamed ones on that ship are housed and tells them about the Jedi. You know how juicy gossip works. One person in a building hears it, and by the end of the day, everyone in that building has heard it. Yeah, absolutely. That's the only thing I can think of. Maybe that's where this started. Well, and, and they'd also be on the world ships and seeing... Um, you know what the what the Jedi are doing in their own galaxy, and you know if there's they hear like the Yosef Vong story and then they go, well we've heard this other story so they can they have that information now to start critical thinking and you know questioning wh again what they're being told. One character that plays a huge role in this book is another shamed one, Vuo Rapuang. Or however you pronounce his name. I don't know how you pronounce a name that's got 75 vowels beside each other. I think you and I pronounced it 10 different ways in the first part of the show. He's a warrior who claims he was intentionally disfigured by a shaper that he rejected romantically. We learn in this book that that is true. It's Maison Quad. Rabuong seeks out a Jedi in order to help him. Now, throughout the book, when he and Anakin are talking, they disagree on everything when it comes to the way they should be thinking about the galaxy. But still, 
he seeks out a Jedi. What do you think about that and how that might affect the story going forward? Well, again, he also said like he was a great warrior and he was on uh, one of the planets that the Jedi were defending. So he like he had a front row seat to see what they were doing. Back in the second book, he was on Dantooine yeah. when Anakin, Jason, and Luke show up to allow the refugees from Dubrillion who had stopped at Dantooine in order to escape Dantooine. He saw Luke, Anakin, and Jason and their lightsabers defending that escape. So, so exactly. He's had a first-hand look as to what they're capable of, right? They're now on... He's now on their planet for, you know, and watches he sees him do like take out a Vong patrol he sees the lightsaber and then waits for Anakin to wake up and goes you're gonna help me I know what I'm saying right now is heresy from what I believe but I also know you're the only one capable and again the more the use Vong sort of encounter the Jedi I think they are starting to question that what they've been told previously about them being these ultimate evil and just wanting power and that they're actually starting to respect them um, as warriors and realize that, you know, they are actually, um, we don't quite understand their philosophy, but we can understand them as warriors and how they go about their jobs you know, th their big difference is they see the Jedi trying to save people as a weakness and not just, it. To you know, their belief is you should just let, them, let everything die if it's meant to die. Right, but when you think of the shamed ones, they've been told for generations that they should just go ahead and die. Some of them may accept that as part of Yuzhan Vong philosophy, but we've already we've just seen two characters that don't want to die. And now the fact that the Jedi believe that all life is sacred, that's giving these shamed ones an alternative philosophy to follow. You mentioned it earlier in this discussion. Repressed people will try to find a way to fight back against those that are repressing them. The shamed ones may be finding that in the Jedi. Absolutely. And one of the things that I actually just thought of this, you know, they've been told, we've already established that they've been traveling for a long time. That belief of you, you must just let yourself go and die may have been a way to save resources. Because if there's too many people on those ships, they're not going to continue going. There's too many mouths to feed. There's, you know, not enough places to live. So maybe it was a population control thing. And now that they're in this galaxy where they're literally taking over planets and they're like, there's space for everyone. Why would I give that up now? You have your spot. I have mine. Yeah, that's to me the most interesting part of this book. One last question I have for you. The Lambent Crystal. It's described that 
Anakin can feel it and can use the Lambent Crystal to kind of feel the Yuzhan Vong. But it says it's not really using the Force. It's a very vague description. And I think that description is intentional because Anakin doesn't really understand what's happening with the Lambent Crystal himself. Could these crystals be a way going forward for the Jedi to start to figure out why they can't feel the Yuzhan Vong in the Force and perhaps figure out a way to do that? I, I really hope so. Um, because I think it would be really, really neat to have them start incorporating um, this biotech into their lightsabers. Um, it kind of reminds me of the current canon with the Kyber crystals where they say it's almost alive and, and that the Kyber crystal is in itself has a consciousness, consciousness, right? The, the older canon was you could use any sort of crystal, pearl, um, gem, you know, that, that spoke to you and you had a connection with to power your lightsaber. Here we're seeing something that's saying, no, I'm alive, that we can talk to each other and I'm going to help give you information, which is kind of what the Jedi do already with the Force. And I'm going to use the M word that most Star Wars fans don't like. Maybe they have midichlorians. Maybe. Um, I doubt you would see that in this book though considering this is legends they didn't really go into midi-chlorians until the prequel movies came out but uh to be fair though this book was published after the phantom menace was released now i don't know when greg key started writing it but it was published after the phantom menace was released uh before we finish with the questions and this part of the discussion jay was there anything in this book that you really liked that we haven't talked about yet or was there anything that maybe didn't work very well for you um i mean overall i, I really like this book um what kind of didn't really work for me is I, again that opening scene where the jedi are pulling themselves apart it seems like almost every book starts that way and it's nothing's changed like it's the exact same conversation it's the exact same players and no one's budging no one's coming up with another alternative it's still kept on saying hey we need to fight right and i i did find it interesting that kip actually believes that he's emulating luke while luke was fighting the empire and saying you always took the fight to them you didn't give up you just threw yourself at the empire to try and defeat them he goes i'm doing that with the use this is my empire that's what i'm doing and, you know, Luke's had many years now of training and contemplation. And he says, well, how I dealt with the Empire was wrong. I shouldn't have done it that way, but I was trained that way. I've tried to pass on that that's not the right way, but you guys don't want to see that. You just want to go ahead, throw yourself at, into battle. I do agree that the debate is starting to get old you know, having read now seven of these books. But the one interesting thing I will say about the way it's presented in this one is that at the meeting on Coruscant, it appears that 
Luke is losing more people from his side. That more Jedi are moving toward Kip's side of the debate. And we're closing in on the halfway point of this series. We've got another two or three books before we get to halfway. I would imagine that sometime around there, something has to break amongst the Jedi when it comes to this debate. Either Kip's faction has to kind of split off and just say, look, we're sorry, Master Skywalker. We can't follow you anymore. We're going to follow Kip. Or something's got to happen to where Luke says, you see, this is why I'm saying we can't be the aggressor. Please come back and let's figure out how we are best suited to confront the Yuzhan Vong. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think we saw a little bit of that with the Solo kids where they were like, we, we actually have to think about this logically and we know we're targets, but where where are we vulnerable? Where's the intel coming from? How do we get intel to protect ourselves? And almost looking at it that way, you're still acting as Kip wants, but you're not doing it in a blunt way. You're actually trying to do it in an educated way. Um, and I think one of the things too, in that um, scene where Luke confronts the Order, Anakin notes that Luke's composure slips for a second. And that throws Anakin off. Um, I, I believe what they said was the, the unshakable has been shaken. That really affects Anakin deeply and it's like, maybe we're not doing the right thing. Maybe it's time for someone, some new ideas to come about. And I'm hoping with Anakin's discoveries on, again, seeing the Yuzhikvon as people and bringing that back to Luke, how that can be used to educate the rest of the Order and come up with plans for future encounters. Before we wrap up, I have an email from listener Ben, who was listening to some of my early episodes. Uh, these were on Darth Bane. And I said that the way Bane eliminated the Brotherhood of Darkness in Legends probably would not happen in canon. But Ben disagrees. Jay, will you please read Ben's email? Ben writes, I recently read the first book of the Darth Bane trilogy. In your podcast, you talk about how the events of Bane overthrowing the Brotherhood doesn't line up with what we know so far in canon. You spoke on the canon events of the fall of the Brotherhood and how its canon, how its canon fall is opposite of what Bane saw and hated. Considering that most of the information we receive about the Sith is from the Jedi, is it possible that they could have seen Bane's rise as the greed and infighting to achieve uh, being the all-powerful Sith. I feel like it is very easy for these two to be connected. General Hoth even said that it, in order for Master Farfalla to have gotten past the Sith blockade, there had to have been someone working against the Sith from the inside. I just feel like these two could very easily be connected, as well as the Jedi claiming to have wiped out the Sith. We can see that the Jedi are flawed, and I believe it is possible that when they returned, they claimed to have wiped out the Sith and in a way to repair the doubts that had started to rise about the war. Thank you so much. Well, thank you very much for the email, Ben. And you are correct. 
the way Bane exterminates the Brotherhood in Legends could be the way the Brotherhood is defeated in canon. However, the reason I don't think it happened is because that's not the way George Lucas envisioned the downfall of the ancient Sith. In a 2019 interview with Dan Brooks, Lucas says, quote, Everybody said, oh well, there was a war between the Jedi and Sith. Well, that never happened. That's just made up by fans. What really happened is, the Sith ruled the universe for a while, 2,000 years ago. Each Sith had an apprentice. But the problem was, each Sith Lord got to be powerful. And the Sith Lords would try to kill each other because they all wanted to be the most powerful. So in the end, they killed each other off. And there wasn't anything left. Unquote. So, Ben, that's why I don't think that in canon, Darth Bane used the Thought Bomb to wipe out the Brotherhood. You know, there's still a lot of people working at Lucasfilm that were there with George Lucas, and they still talk to him, and they have his notes at Lucasfilm on a lot of stuff. They try to follow his vision of Star Wars to the best of their ability. At least that's what I believe. Jay, do you have any thoughts on Ben's email? Um, I, I, I think that when it comes to the Force, and especially when we're dealing with that ancient Sith um, order, anything is potentially possible. You know, George Lucas could change his mind at any minute, throw some notes out, or maybe it just makes it a more interesting story. I, I don't know. It's also kind of scary to think that if they had that kind of power to create a bomb like that why have why has it never been seen again so I, th I think that it's one of those things where it's almost overpowered to the point where we see things in like you know the force unleashed games where it was purposely done where the force was used to for gameplay like but they overpowered everything and they admitted that and they said that but that was why what the game was for was to overpower a force user um, how that would work in current canon, I don't know that it would, because even in the current canon, we haven't seen anyone that powerful. Thank you very much for the email, Ben. I really appreciate your opinion. Now, listeners, if any of you have a comment about something we've talked about on the show, or if you have a question, you can email it to me at swlegendslounge at gmail.com. Or send a tweet at Legends Lounge 1. Or you can record a short audio file and email it in. Just remember to record it in MP3 or MP4 format. And don't forget to send in your favorite Star Wars character groupings. I love reading them. Jay, thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Aaron. If listeners would like to hear more from you, or if they would like to contact you, how can they do uh, that? For now, the easiest way to do that is through Twitter. Um, you can follow my podcast, Animated Antics, at jandcat1. Uh, we've just finished covering Batman the Animated Series. We've covered uh, The Bad Batch and Tales of the Jedi. And, or you can follow me on my personal Twitter, uh, which is at j81hunt. Um, I just generally nerd out there. Uh, about lots of stuff, baseball, Nordic mythology, 
pineapple on pizza. You know, I just kind of hang out there. For those of us who were kids in the 90s, Batman Animated Series, that's a formative animated program. Honestly, it is one of the best animated programs that I can I, remember. I, I agree. I think it even now it still holds up as one of the best TV shows I've ever seen. Well, coming up on the next episode of this podcast, Matt will be back and he'll join me to talk about Edge of Victory 2, Rebirth by Greg Keyes. You can look forward to that episode coming out on July 21st. Thank you so much for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. I'm Aaron Motes. May the Force be with you. And remember, there's always a bit of truth in Legends. Legends.